All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today. So glad to see you here. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Chad Little. I serve on the elder board here at Big Sky Christian Fellowship, and Scott has been gracious to let me take his spot for a week. So today, um, well, I want, I want to start with a story, uh, this, a story told of, of Rabbi Akiva, who lived in the first century uh, after, about 30 years after Christ. And uh, he, he was leaving the synagogue once, one afternoon, it was a foggy day, and he, got, he was lost in thought, and he got turned around as he was walking home to Capernaum. And unbeknownst to him, he, he had turned the wrong direction and suddenly stumbled upon the steps of a Roman fort. Well, a voice from up, uh, up above on the wall had heard the, the clatter and said, Who are you? What are you doing here? Rabbi Akiva, jolted from his reverie, realized what had happened. And he, asked, he paused for a second. He said, Will you please repeat the question? Who are you? What are you doing here? The soldier yelled down. Rabbi Akiva thought for a second. And then he asked, How much do they pay you? It was the soldier's turn to be, be surprised now. He said, Two denarii a day. And Rabbi Akiva, another pause. I'll double your pay if you'll come home with me and ask me your question every morning. Who are you? And what are you doing here? So that question has been one we've been looking at for the last few weeks as we have been going through a sermon series called Cultivating Christian Community. And we've been looking at what, who are we and what are we doing here? And uh, I think Pastor Scott has spelled it out so well three weeks ago when he showed us that story from 1 Samuel and showed us how we need to be like Abigail who mediated between David and Nabal and stopped David from doing something rash. That, that was, she knew who she was and what she was doing. And then two weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians, and we looked at how our differences can really actually refine us. And he used the illustration of sandpaper and clear coat, and how that makes a piece of, of, a, of a wood countertop, makes, it brings out the beauty in it. But that our differences really uh, we can be used to refine us. And last week, we looked at that story of Ananias and Sapphira, and we really looked at how authenticity is key to having healthy community. So today, we get to look at 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. And I'd like to turn to that right now. It'll also be up on the screen and read that. So starting in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are we? What are we doing here? So it's, it's important to note that Peter here, he's not um, just coming, making this up for this letter that he's, he's writing to the people who have been scattered um, from persecution. But he's pulling directly from Exodus 19. So I'd like to look, look at Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, and compare that to what we just read in 1 Peter. We're going to be jumping around a lot, so you may have, we may have Bible blisters here at the end of this. All right, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Nope, starts right here. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. So Peter, he understands and his audience understands that what he's saying really ties back to some of these first few books in the Bible. Right? He knows their story. I think when we read um, what Peter has to say, it maybe make us, makes us feel good that we're chosen, that we're priests, that we're holy, set apart. But maybe we gloss over what that actually means. So today, we're going to dig into what that means. And, and the concept here is, is known as the priesthood of all believers. So we're going to be looking at what that, what that actually means. And there's four things, um, there's four roles of the priest as we dig through the Old Testament, and especially the book of Leviticus. And um, the, if we skip to that next slide, the four roles of the priest are putting God on display, distributing resources to those in need, interceding on behalf of others, and then helping people navigate atonement. So in full disclosure, this is a list that I got um, probably about four, four years ago, listening to a sermon series through Leviticus. So I didn't um, come up with this. A lot of what I'm saying today is stuff that I've learned over the last five or six years that, that really changed the way I thought about what my purpose and my, my role was here on earth. So let's dig into that first one. The first role of a priest is to put God on display. And uh, we're not going to read the passage, but in Exodus 28, it, it talks about the uniform of a priest. And what you can see right away, if that picture shows up, is that think of, of wearing that in 100 degree Fahrenheit feet, the heat in the Negev desert. Right? That doesn't look like desert garb, really. But, and the priest stood out, right? And really, I think part of what, what it's illustrating there is that this God is different. This God is different than all the other gods. These people have just been rescued from slavery out of Egypt. So they're familiar with the Egyptian gods. They know the gods and the nations around them. And this God is different. And I think this is illustrated so well when we go back to just the, the very beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we see a God who creates out of love and out of just a spirit of creativity compared to the myths that they would have been familiar with from Egypt where the gods created out of violence and destruction and fighting. So right away we see that our God is different, and so the priest looks different just to, to maybe jar people out of the everyday. I want to focus on, in Genesis, uh, there's so much that we can't get to here, but in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, uh, we're just going to look at, tw at 27 right now, but it, it talks about, well, we'll just read it. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in Latin, this concept is known as imago Dei, and, and it's the fact that we are created in the image of God is such a foundational and essential uh, point to who we are and what we're doing here. So there's three things I want to look at on what it means to be created in the image of God. The first thing is that we all have dignity, dignity and value and purpose, right? There's nobody's a mistake. Uh, there's one pastor, Pastor Aaron Couch, that likes to say, when, before you were born, God looked around and saw what the world was missing and he created you. Right? We all have purpose. We all have a point here. We're all special. The second thing that it means to be in the image, created in the image of God is that we're created as reflectors. We are made to reflect our God. We are mirrors. Sometimes our mirrors get warped. Sometimes we're funhouse mirrors and we, we reflect God poorly. Sometimes my mirror gets muddy 
and it doesn't reflect at all. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm created as a reflector of our God. And so how we understand our God then is, is so key to how, what we're reflecting. If we misunderstand our God, we'll reflect our God poorly. So knowing who our God is and that our God is different is so key to reflecting him well. The third thing that I'd like to look at that the image of God has to do with is in Genesis 2. And it actually is the first crisis in the Bible. We're still in the Garden of Eden. Sin hasn't come into the world. And yet we have, in Genesis 2.18, we have, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. And uh, when I read this this last week as I was preparing, I immediately thought of a few memes here that probably illustrate this better than anything else I can say. Right? Maybe it won't show up too well, but yeah, that's a, that's a dude surfing on another dude down an inflatable slide. Right? It's not good. It says, like, why women live longer than men, right? That's what all these are going to be. The next one. The next one, there's the, the, the two soldiers below are holding a pair of pants. That guy up on the railing is getting ready to jump into his pants, right? He just puts his pants on like everybody else, jump off a balcony from 12 feet. This one, sketchy ladder work. This is something I do every week, right? And then the last one. Yeah, that guy's jumping out of that window into his pool on a broom. And he, I think he's flexing for the camera. Yeah. So it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> I, think, I think women get this. Women notice. I want to put a thank you out to our wives and our moms and all significant women in our lives for keeping us alive, telling us when we're doing something stupid. Thank you. But it's more than just that. It's that God lives in community, right? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and us humans being created in God's image means that we are to live in community. When we're just off by ourselves, we're not living in that image of God that he created us. So that's the image of God. And that plays into who that priest represents. That we are here to put God on display. All right. So now, oh, what's our next slide here? So oh, moving on, Jesus. In, in he, he, I just love how Jesus was our high priest, and he showed us what God looked like. And there's this verse in Hebrews that says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is that perfect example of who, is, who God is like. And so as we start to examine how am I supposed to reflect God, we can just look at Jesus and know that we're, we're, we can follow that example. All right, so that's that first point, that the priests in Leviticus were there to put God on display. The second point is that they're here to distribute resources to those in need. Um, the, the priests, as, as people brought their tithes and offerings, their, their first fruits of their, um, their crops and their livestock, that, that went to supply the Levites and the priests with their, their livelihood, but then they also were meant to distribute that to people who had need as well. So their role was very clear to, to provide for especially the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, but anybody who had need out of the, out of the abundance of, of everybody. Genesis 12, uh, it has so many implications for our lives, and, and I'm not even going to touch on a lot of them. Um, let's read that together. Genesis 12. What, what verses are we at there? 
just verses 2 and 3. Then I will make you into a great nation. This is God talking to Abraham. Then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So I'm not even going to touch on the, the, the primary fulfillment of these words. is Jesus through the descendants of Abraham. But just the basic message of that God is going to bless Abraham not so that he can take it easy, not so that he can be comfortable, not so that he can just enjoy life. He's going to bless Abraham so that he can bless others. And that's exactly the picture with the priest, that everybody bringing of their excess and, and knowing that their God is a God of abundance, that was meant to bless others, not just to make the priest comfortable. So f for us, it's the same story. We've, we've been blessed so much here where we are in Big Sky, Montana. But that's, that blessing isn't just for us to be comfortable. That blessing is for us to spread that blessing to others. Jesus, of course, is our example here, too. And uh, in the example of like, the feeding 5,000, all, all the ways he was healing and forgiving and teaching, he was always giving himself and showing that his God is, is a God of abundance, that he is a God of abundance. In Philippians 4.19, it has this, this to say, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I think we read a verse like that and we think that God's going to miraculously just provide, right? We're just going to find something coming down with a parachute and on our doorstep and our needs will be met. But the reality is that God works through us, right? This is the beauty of community. When we have a need, we share that need or we don't. We even just talk to God and God talks to the other person and says, hey, I need, I need you to give of your time, your skills, your experience, your, your money. And so this is so, so beautiful when we realize that if we're not in community, God can't use ourselves to bless each other, right? And that's his purpose. So, and Jesus, again, was such an example of that, that he would take time to, to be by himself and be with God, but then he would spend time blessing others. So that's that second role of a priest, to we're blessed to be a blessing, and that we're here to give, give of our resources. The third role of a priest is to intercede on behalf of others. And I just love, Mark, how you, you did that with your, your prayer today. You interceded so well. Thank you. And that's exactly what this is about. Our, our example here is from Exodus 32 and Moses. And they've been freed from slavery. They're, they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've uh, said back in actually Genesis 19, which we read from at the beginning, they said, we will obey everything you tell us and we will obey God. And then in Genesis 32, uh, the part that won't be on the screen is that Moses is on Mount Sinai listening to God share the law with him. And God says, the people are down there and they're worshiping a golden calf. They're not, they're not doing what they said they would. They're not doing what I told them to. And God says, I'm going to destroy them and I'm going to make you a nation. And Moses intercedes for the people. He says, you can't do that. What will that say about you? And then it says in verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. And I think sometimes we read that, that God is like frustrated. Ah, I wanted to destroy him. I don't think that's the case at all. And, and what I want to pull from here is two chapters later from um, Exodus 34. And this is one of my favorite verses, Exodus 34, 6. 6 and 7. 
Now it's pretty small on the screen. I'm gonna go ahead and read it from here. Oh. Once I find it. This verse is, uh, it's one that we need to pay a lot of attention to as, as reflectors of God, because if we don't understand who our God is, we'll reflect, reflect him poorly. But when God describes himself, I think we should listen. And, and God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about that end, but I want to focus too on just that how amazing, how forgiving he is. So when Moses is interceding on behalf of the people, I think God is, is smiling and he just loves Moses' heart at that moment because he is a God that's slow to anger, that is compassionate. So in, in that verse he says, I will, I will show my love to a thousand generations, but I will have justice up to three to four generations. And I think that ratio is really important. There's a thousand to four ratio there. Imagine a year where you go every day, three times a day, forgiving somebody who's, who's wrong, wronging you or who's hurting you. Right? Every day, three times a day. And you say maybe once a quarter, you say, you know what? This isn't right. You shouldn't be doing this. But the rest of the days, three times a day, you're forgiving them. That's a tough ratio, right? That's challenging. And I think Scott has said it before that, that what we're talking about here, these are all ideals that we don't measure up to, right? But that these are reflecting our God. So that's interceding on behalf of others. The, the, the last part I, I should talk about on that is Jesus again. Jesus as our example. There's a, a great story from Luke 9. Uh, verses 53 through 55. And I'll just read it off the screen. This is a uh, story as, as they're traveling back to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples. But the people there did not welcome him. They were, in, they were near Samaria. The people did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Right? Again, I can see that Exodus 34 in, in Jesus' mind. Like, I'm a compassionate God. I'm long-suffering. I'm slow to anger. I don't want to, I don't want to send fire on these people. <laughs> right? And then Jesus interceded for us in John 17 in this beautiful prayer. He prays for his disciples. And then in verses 20 and 23, he prays for us. My prayer is not for them, my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are one in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus here intercedes for us and calls for us to be unified and be a community that represents him well. Um, let's see, do we have one more verse there, Luke? I have a... All right. So, so as Big Sky Christian Fellowship here, we are a community that fights for people to be included in God's story. So that covers the first three roles of priests that we, we uh, put God on display, that we distribute resources to those in need, we intercede on behalf of others, 
And then we get to that fourth one. And this one, this one take, maybe take a little more unpacking that we help people navigate atonement. Atonement, atonement's one of those things that is, uh, the English word is actually really helpful because you can break it down and you can see that atonement, you can say at one and it really has that connotation of, of something that's been separated and it's been restored. So re relational restoration, bringing things back together that were not right. So as we think of atonement, especially uh, when, it's, when it's God making atonement for the people, that he's letting the people know that they are right with him. So here's where we get into Leviticus. And Leviticus, I'm, I'm really just going to scratch the surface here, but we have... On the slide, hopefully you can see the different colors there. Leviticus is written brilliantly. It's, a, it's an inverted parallelism, which shows on the slide that the, the first seven chapters are rituals of redemption. They, they match that the last few chapters of Leviticus are also rituals of redemption. Then you've got chapters on priesthood, which mirror the chapters 21 and 22, which are about priesthood. You have holiness code, holiness code, and they're all pointing to the middle, which is chapter 16, which is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so in Leviticus 16, they have all the, the rules for that day. And that day is, is such a special thing to try to understand that I'm slowly learning about. In that day, there's, there's several sacrifices, but one of, one of the sacrifices, there's two goats that are brought to, as a sin offering for the entire people. At this point, it may be it's millions of Israelites out in the desert, and they have two goats that cover all their sins. One, the, the goat is, is killed, and the blood, which represents life and represents um, also their sin. There's all sorts of things that the blood represents. The priest takes that blood and he puts it on the horns of the altar and then he takes it into the most holy place just that one day every year and he puts, sprinkles it seven times onto the seat of the ark, the atonement cover. And it's as if the, our sins are placed on God at that moment. And that and then later, there's, there's more that happens where their sins are placed from there on to another goat that walks away into the wilderness. So they have this object lesson showing that my sin has been taken away. God has taken it, and then it's been sent away. As far as the east is from the west, so our sin has been taken away from us. And Jesus, again, so beautifully, with his death, burial, and resurrection, atones for us. There's... Um, Let's see, in um, Hebrews 9, 24 through 28, we see... Uh, I'm going to look this one up so I, I can read it from here. But Jesus, as our atonement, um, is just such a, a wonderful picture of how he makes, makes the way for us to be right with, with God. So starting, what verse am I in here? 24. Thanks. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by sac the sacrifice of himself. 
Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So Jesus is such a perfect picture of atonement for us. And he shows us what, what it means uh, to be right with him. So as our example then, um, and especially as our experience, our, we've experienced Jesus' life in our life, right? And so our jobs as priests then is to show people what that experience is like and be willing to share our story. We can only do that in community. So we, we've experienced Jesus' mercy and compassion, and we share our story to help others in their journey. So that's all the background that Peter's drawing from. And again, that's just scratching the surface of what Peter's drawing from as he writes. And we'll just read for the last time 1 Peter 2.9, what we started with. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the twist at the end here is that I don't want us to go out and try to practice these four things. What I want us to leave with is a relationship with Jesus. Because that's what all of this comes out of, right? That us knowing our God and following our God, that's what all of these priestly roles come out of. And then God can bring people into our lives that we can help. Um, God can change us and make us whole. There's all sorts of things that are predicated that we are walking with Jesus.